Welcome back to A Year in Horror. This is a podcast where on the first of each month I choose a year at random and I just have at it by going through all the mid to highly rated horror movies of that said year and then I rate them worst to best. Between those episodes I will usually interview one of my favourite bands about any horror film that they want to talk about and today's no exception. Actually, it is an exception because it's Shane Bloody Embry. And that is a pretty big one for me. And here's the thing. As you get older, people tend to discourage absolutes. But on the 19th of June 2019, I jumped onto Twitter and I declared, and I want to quote this, at this point, it's become very clear to me that Napalm Death are my favourite band. As ABBA once said, thank you for the music. We'll come back to that in just a sec. Before we do, before we get into this, I just want to mention that A Year in Horror has a Patreon page. At the moment, there is tons of stuff on there, but really, your money's going to be well spent if you're well into video nasties, because I'm currently working my way through that top tier list with the 39 big hitters. But there is nothing stopping you just going over there and having a quick look, patreon.com forward slash a year in horror if you want to contact me just try a year in horror at gmail.com there we go that's that bit i've done that let me get back to napalm death i was introduced to napalm back in 1989 properly anyway i'd heard of them i'd heard rumblings in like kerrang or whatever but i'd never actually heard them until the bbc got involved more on that later And once I'd heard them, I quickly bought their back catalogue, of which there wasn't that much at the time. And even during the grunge years and my emo years, I kept in touch with the band, what they were putting out, seeing them every now and again. I'm a bit of a lifer with Napalm Death. In fact, one of my first gigs was watching them live in Canterbury University. And I don't remember the year, but it was at some point in the early 90s. But what I do remember is doing my very first stage dive there. And instead of your regular stage dive, where you run like Superman, you fall forward or you leap into the crowd, that wasn't what I did. Instead of your regular dive, I went in for a backflip. And unfortunately, I missed most of the crowd and I slammed straight onto the floor uh, and I hit my head in the process. And I just spent the next 10 minutes puking up. I hadn't even eaten. I was just puking up. Whatever was in me came out. 10 minutes later, I rejoined the pit. I literally have cut my teeth to this band. So I rewatched that documentary on the BBC, which we'll talk about in a moment. And I got all inspired. So I just went, right, I'm going to reach out to Shane. And he told me about his new dark ambient electronica project. And he mentioned to me that that was partly inspired by Italian horror. You can listen to them on whatever your favourite streaming service is. He has called the project Dark Sky Burial. So what I did, of course, I sent over the list of movies that we've already covered on the show and I asked him just to choose any one and he opted for Zack Snyder's 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead. 
Why the flippity flip would you choose that, right? Why? Well, we'll get into it, but it's just mad that out of every horror movie ever made, why would you choose it? It intrigued me more. So with that, I think that's enough. Let's just get into this. All you horror and metal loving folks out there, this is myself and Shane Embry chatting Dawn of the Dead, the 2004 remake. Shane, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, there, mate. Uh, sorry, I was a bit of a sweat, but there you go. Well, I'm I'm very appreciative that um, we could do this together. This is going to be a good one. I don't even care about talking about the film. I want to just get this question in, right? Because this was my opening for maybe the rest of my life. It was an earth-changing moment for me. And I wondered if other people had the same things. People must say the weirdest things to you. So... BBC Arena special, 1989. Mm. Seeing you guys on that changed everything for me. Was it exciting for you just to be on TV rather than John Peel or whatever, actually on the day? It was. I mean, it, 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 it was exciting. All of it was exciting for us. Um, you know, we are very young at the time, and Bill was probably, I forget, Bill's probably two years old. He's, like, he's probably like 17 or 18 at the time. But we, we took it, it's kind of strange, even with the John Peel stuff, everything that came, we kind of took it in our stride and we did it, especially back then because you're coming from a scene that was predominantly paying more than 199 and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, so, I mean, most people were totally cool, but then suddenly, well, I remember when From Enslavement came out on CD and it was like a fucking uproar. And oh my God, we're playing, the, we're playing the Brixton Arms or something, the fucking floor's covered in shattered glass. Okay, I'm sorry, but CDs are in me, you know, it's not my choice. But anyway, um, so yeah, we, we took it in a stride, but I think the crew for the BBC, they loved it as well because they were getting to interview a lot of the bigger bands and some of the bands were not, not you know, they were egotistical, I guess, or whatever. We were just, yeah. we were like, well, fuck it, this is a dos. You know, we're into this. Why would they film the Dawn of the Dead part? I see my old bedroom at my mum's house, yeah. So my fucking, my dad comes in, he's like, how much you pay my son? Otherwise, I've got bloody just joking with his humour, which kind of did that. So the whole thing was kind of fun. And it, we just took it on a stride. It, it, I mean, and of course, when it comes out on TV, I mean, you, you'd be kind of like, you know, you're not big headed about it. You'd be like, fuck, now on TV, what's going on here? Really? I mean, that's, I, mean I always wanted to do a band and, from a younger age, and this book that we're slowly working through on me, which I kind of sometimes find ludicrous, but fun. So I'm just talking like this to you. When I talk to the Dave Everly who's doing it, I just ramble. He has to decide for it all, you know. I go forward, back, backwards, forwards, and stuff. So it's like that. So we were just, I mean, you should, why wouldn't you be kind of chuffed? I mean, we weren't big headed about it. It didn't sort of displace us or anything, apart from obviously, you know, you go into town to, Back then, by a, whatever it was, a Super Nintendo game, and someone had come up to you and go, Oh, you're the guy from Napalm, you know. <laughs> okay. and you go, yeah, you know, and, you know, but it was, it was the experience was, was good. Was it something to show your parents as if to say, Look, this is serious now? You know, was it that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, my dad was always, you know, I mean, you know, it's not his, that's him, it's not his fault. You know, I left school back, back in the day with the youth training scheme. 
I was on my fucking you know, carrying fucking 10, 15 kilo bags of cement around for 15 quid. Fuck no, I barely carried myself in. And so I had my earlier band, Warhammer, and, you know, and then when I saw Napalm in 86, a place called The Mermaid, which is about a 15 minute walk from here, it's called something else now, and they changed my life because I'd been take trading and all that shit. And where I was at that point in life, they were the, they were the next perfect step for me. Right. So I became, and I became really good friends with the guys, and there you go. You know, it's I mean, it's you're following your heart, but it's a bit of destiny in there, I suppose. The universe ranting and all that kind of thing, but yeah. So you know, I was. It's so odd to see the BBC championing just such a an odd band. They were they were having like the seventies like dad rock stuff that you would get and they were talking us through heavy metal and like i just remember sitting down with my um like i'm ready to take this now bang sort of thing because i knew i'd be watching it a thousand times after it had oh, finished. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a great thing to do video i mean uh, you know um yeah i mean uh, part of it was i think because the uh the crew really liked us i mean they're good hanging out with us of course you know they'd be filmers they have the hotel in Somewhere in Brom, so we'd go down there and hang out, and they'd have the BBC expenses. So me, Lee, and I wasn't drinking that much back then, but me, Lee, and I me and Lee would be getting fucking rat arse, you know, <laughs> on the BBC expense, and we're just laughing, you know, and then um, it was fun. Um, I found it interesting when I think uh, in the end, it could have been, I think we might have had more airplay time than Guns N' Roses or one of those bands. Some fan really got irked about it, you know. <laughs> How is this possible? That shit noise gets, and I was like laughing. I'm like, well, it's funny. I like good noises, but it's funny. (laughs) I mean, you said it. You you were in your room whilst they were filming watching Day of the Dead. Now, I also not only have not heard of you at this point, but I'd not seen Day of the Dead. So me and my friends, which were all sitting around watching this thing, were like, "What the fuck is this movie?" And like, it took a while to find it. I think, um, and that might have been because I think the quality of it was probably one of my mates, and you know, because of course I find it really interesting. I don't, you know, I, I watch, I don't watch as much horror as I used to. I try to keep up with what's going on. Then that was the height of the, the band list, you know. You know, you had like movies like Axe, where there's probably I think, some guy who cuts himself shaving is on the band list. And I was like, what well, I find this movie Axe, I'm like, that's fucking rubbish. You know, where you look like something like Cannibal Holocaust or The Burning, you know. Uh, that was, and I remember when my mate had, he was the first ever video recorder, and we all went around there to watch Evil Dead. We were like, fuck me, you know, this is insane. <laughs> yeah. I think I think Day of the Dead was cut originally like, when it came here. So this would have been some, some of the more, more extra scenes. You have to have the extra scenes, you know, it's not the extra track, and you've got to have it, you know. So we, me and Bill were watching that. We, were, we loved all that stuff, you know. And of course, tape trading when Bill introduced me to the band Death, and they were all screaming bloody gore, and you know, Right. People dead and beyond the unholy grave. It was all like, yes, let's have it. You know. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean that was one of the many. But I, th- I mean, I'll I'll jump into a quick side shows when we did it all with, with the Brutal Truth in Canada in 1993. If I can get this right, we were watching uh, Peter Jackson's Brain Dead. Yeah, yeah. We were watching. We were watching. This copy had been had come from Australia or New Zealand to Pete uh, to Alex from the drummer of Pungent Stench. So he had to transfer it from NTSC, I think, to to PAL. Then he transferred it from PAL, I believe, back to NTSC, and he went to Dan Lilke. So it was the most extreme bootleg ever, and we watched it every night, you know, the WL, the WL, all that kind of shit. 
and we and then I said we we did this me and Luca did this um, malformed earthborn records and like skinny puppy kind of tribute on an eight track and I'm probably well, sued by now but he, all the after samples were from brain dead like I kick ass for the Lord but they, but the but the, the, the copy was. So brutal, you know. And that's it. And every night, I had to. I mean, Barn was like again. I'm like, it has to go on again. Barn, we have to watch it again. And then, so yeah, I mean, that's what you're doing back then. You you're watching the, you know, like when Hellraiser two came out, that was cut, but you found the, the uncut editions in the states, especially the first, first time I went to the states in '91. You could pick up like an uncut, uh, you know, a brand new copy for like ten dollars from like Hellbound two. You know, like, I, I had a trunk of videos. I it came back. Couldn't do it now. They'd be charging. You. Fortune is a friend of ours who still keeps with he ran, he, he ran a video store, so he was giving us. I've still got him upstairs, like loads of NTSC videos in the book. Gonna oh, ask, like, where, what happened to all those? All mine ended up in a skip. I have, I have, I've, I've kept most of mine, um, actually. Um, and they went into because I have my video recorded still works, strangely enough, because um, I was watching some Emperor video the other week, I got from Canada years ago, but um. I've got a lot of old napalm life stuff, but I kept most I kept most of them just because this is kind of how the house has become. It's like we lived, four of us lived here at one point. There's me and Danny. Danny, of course, on and off. He goes back and forth. And it's just the place where all, it's kind of strange. All of a sudden you click your fingers and next year we'll have, this will have had this house 30 years, you know. <laughs> yeah. So all this stuff is here. My CDs are up there. I didn't keep all my vinyl, unfortunately. Um, but I have a lot of my, my, my the, the videos, the videos to my heart, you know. Really, and um, yeah, of course, you can, you can watch them easily, easy now, but it's just nice to have it there in the corner. Yeah, I kind of see to me, it's inspiration. I sit there, I look at my Godzilla toys or my you know, Bride of Frankenstein poster or my duck. But my, my wife got totally annoyed in the last year, I think I'm by six Daleks, pissed her off. She's like, You really need those Daleks? I'm like, I need those fucking Daleks. When I was a kid, you couldn't get them, and these are like 16 inches. Well, she, I mean, my, sister, my daughter goes. Different colours. I'm like, yes, different colours. I need them all. <laughs> I look at them and it just inspires me to make music with this. So that's kind of how it goes. Well, let, let's talk about it. So we've got, um, I, I get in touch with you. You get back and you say, oh, have you heard this? And you give me some Dark Sky Burial stuff to listen to. And this is, it could be soundtracking all these films we've mentioned.
uh, is, is that the inspiration that you get from just these these movies, whether it's sci-fi, whether it's horror, uh, to be like laying down this stuff? Because I, what I really found was great about it was it feels like that synthwave electronica stuff, but without the those dance per minute beats sort of thing. You'd, yeah. you'd out and you'd you'd given us the actual score that you would watch on a movie. Was that the point? I mean, I think it varied. I mean, I've got, because I made my, my life more chaotic than I should have. I've got about six album covers for albums I haven't even started yet. But it's some of it, some of it's kind of tied in with this Jungian individuation thing that I'm on, which is like a therapy stroke. I wouldn't get into that, but I love the band Coil, which is I'm wearing this year. Coil originally were meant to do the same track for the first Hellraiser movie. Um, right. But I think, you know, movie politics. But besides that, cool, we're always had a way of creating unsettling sounds. And so besides massively being the metal, I was attracted to that. But also I love like, things like Lucy had Fulci movies because I think you couldn't, they're always badly translated, but it was always just weird. You were watching it, but you could, you weren't almost quite there because there was, through whatever the soundtrack had, they, the, the movie company in England had done, there was this like displacement where you felt like you were spiritually removed or something. And that's kind of how I felt. And also growing up in the 70s around Tomorrow's People, Doctor Who, and yeah, I love Hammer Horror movies and just all that kind of stuff. It, I, I've reached this thing in my life, I guess, where it's all cut, kicked in. And of course, I'd love to do soundtracks for, horror, for, for movies. Of course, it's, it's a very competitive field, you know, very competitive field to, to do. But in the meantime, it's quite, it's really therapeutic. I mean, I went out, I've got millions of sounds. I got a new synthesizer the other day, which I just, I, just, I love making sounds. I, like, I, I get a bit of a, it's therapeutic a lot for me, but also I love industrial stuff and, and the danciest stuff. But if, it, if, it, if it's going to go there, it needs to be a bit unpredictable, but not all the time. I prefer the, the mood building, you know, and stuff like that. And uh, I'd love to get the chance to, I was going to, I, I was going to uh, do something for, the, for this one guy who got in touch with me, but, I felt like some of the themes of the movie went, it was only a short movie, it was a little too extreme being a parent. Like, like if you asked me 20 years ago, I'd have been, I wasn't like, I was like, yeah, but 20 years ago, I'd have gone, nah, fuck it. But now I was like, yeah. yeah. You know, I've never really, really cared too much when anyone kind of thinks of me in some ways, but I was like, no, nah, I don't know. But um, that was interesting because a lot of the, the same tools now that come out, they get are geared towards movies, like the beats of the film and things like that. But um, I find it interesting. I mean, I can't remember the, name, the guy's name from Radiohead. He's done some really interesting uh, movie soundtracks recently. And I think it's a way of expressing yourself, you know. Is it something that started when lockdown hit? Because I tried to find stuff before 2020 and I couldn't. So was that your inspiration, like, to knuckle down and get this done? I done a bunch of stuff. I'd, what is it? What is it? We did a, I did a tour with Brewerier and, um, I, you know, like everybody ever, iPad, but Garage Band is on, on iPad. It's an immensely powerful tool. And I was just bored. I said, you know, and suddenly I'd, I'd started getting my little studio together here in 2018, 2017. So, of course, I would just sit there and I'd create a little, I mean, some of the stuff on the Dark Sky album, Dark Sky Band albums are from that period. They're quite primitive. So I just do like an eight bar of a loop. I had a few sounds, and then I started, okay, well, I'll put that one away, do another one. I'm still finding loads of stuff, and I started researching, oh, spe- you know, spectrosonics to this omnisphere, set of sounds and design, amazing sounds on that, and native instruments do this, and finding what's really good for me, you know. And um, 
he went crazy. He just went, I want to need that. When I got back home, it, 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 it's just bought lots of, uh, of synth sounds. Because I've always understood how, what I wanted to do. I wanted to do this many, many years ago, like 1994. But kind of got sidetracked side with touring. Me and Mitchell were big fans. And so, it, but now, yeah, it's a little bit easier still. But I'm not like, I'm still learning. But I mean, I, I might have eight or 10 tracks of sounds. But I usually, my mixing is I just get the levels up. And of course, everyone's doing all this automation and stuff. I can kind of do that, but I've not got there because I've got a four year old son who takes a lot of my time. I had a bunch of stuff and then I kind of hummed an hard on the first album. Yeah, and then when lockdown kicked in, I thought, well, now's a better time than any, really, to sort of start doing this. And uh, of course, the albums came out after that. And my friend Russ, Russell, who produces a lot of the Napalm stuff, we would get together and he would have, and I think I'm going back a little bit more now with the new stuff to the, the, the first record where I just mix it myself and my friend mastered it. Sometimes Russ, would, Russ, Russ helped a lot in, in arranging stuff, but then his vision was different. And then I'd come back and go, oh, I kind of prefer how it was, you know, but that was a good excuse for me and him to hang out and, you know, and, and then vibe off each other. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's kicking out. I mean, I've got have a fifth album that I've, I've, I'm singing on the fifth, this fifth album. No way. <laughs> and, that is, and that goes in many directions, but the whole point of that, there's a, the open dogs going about better, it's not just going one direction. Like I'm also when I played live last year, I was kind of shitting it a bit because you know I'm used to doing it with Napalm. I was going, oh fucking hell. So I like the electronic trancey horror stuff, and it's always gonna be it's always gonna be um, a lot of it will be uneasy because I enjoy that simple cold. You know, if you imagine the last scene in the beyond, it's that, you know. It's dark. You know, they're staring into the abyss and but then you can also look at that as well. Okay, well, we, we do that in life. You know, it's like traumatic experiences. You know, sometimes you go, fuck me, I didn't expect that part, that fucking building. You go, that, there's the fucking abyss right there, but it's just not, you know, it's different. But for me, I just can go many directions. And uh, a few friends I've met along the way are kind of coming in. And it's something like, you know, it's, it's, you know, I'm, it's not, it might, might become popular, but it's, it's uh, very... Very soul, soul feeding, I guess. <laughs> you know? It's very interesting to hear the growth because, yeah, you can go to Bandcamp and then you can just like pr press that button that lets you see everything that's going on. And you can definitely tell what's the brand new stuff compared to the old stuff. There is this, there is this growth going on. And I'm just wondering where it's going to go from here. Like to hear that you're going to be singing, that's exciting. Yeah, the, the, the one, the next, the next, well, possibly the next album, but this is the weird thing. As I'm doing this this album, I've also got other things in like different growths from progress. And, and then there's a friend of mine, Jason Barnett in um, Portland. I love his artwork. He's on Instagram. Very colourful, um, similar mindset to me. And he's already he's done one piece of artwork for me. As he's done two pieces of artwork for me. And now I'm sitting there going, shit, I've got the album yet. And then I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll go a bit more kind of, Skull flower, or maybe I'll do the electronics on this, but it'll be a bit more guitar because I'm also thinking, then I've got something to do with my hands if I play live. <laughs> you know, it sounds so ridiculous, but I'm, I'm just learning. You know, I mean, I, I, I love, I love, I don't, I remember seeing it, it's a different thing when I saw NWA in my 92. Great, I, I love NWA, but I don't want to kind of stand there, just you know, I'll press play. What do I do? You know, so it's almost like, well, some albums could be this way, some albums could be that one, and also I like the idea of secretly creating records so people come to see the show and they, they just get something they've never heard. 
all the doing this, which you know other other experiment artists do. But uh, yeah, it's moving in different. It's become a bit obsessive. The wife gets annoyed with me at times, <laughs> but there you go. But I, I sort of see it as like, well, you know, I mean, I, Napalm will last home for many, many, many years, but you know, and luckily we live, we can still give it a good, uh, good, you know, good belt, you know. But obviously, I'm probably seat 60, 60. I like to think I'm going to be able to sit down in the garden and the kids are you know, they're, they're playing. We're inside. There's the the Lucio Fulci's heard soundtrack. I don't know. You know, I'd quite be quite excited to see a 70-year-old Napalm Death doing the rounds. That'd be awesome. I love but, that. But yeah, but that, you know, when you do this for so long, it becomes what you do as well. Yeah. So it's the thought of not doing it goes, well, what else am I going to do, really? You know. Right, well, let's jump into this movie that you've chosen. Now, when you said it, I was like, that makes sense, Dawn of the Dead. And then it was like, oh, hang on, the remake of Dawn of the Dead. I'll take your questions. Is it a virus? We don't know. How does it spread? Is it airborne? Airborne is a possibility. We don't know. Is this an international health hazard or a military concern? Both. Are these people alive or dead? We don't know. What are they? I don't know. Why are they coming here? Memory, maybe instinct maybe they're coming for us there's some things worse than death and one of them is sitting here waiting to die i don't want to die here when there is no more room in hell the dead will walk the earth dawn of the dead tonight 8 30 on sci-fi Okay, um, that's an interesting one. So this film's 18 years old, which instantly makes me like, Jesus, I'm getting old. Because I was there on the day of release for this one. I was so yeah. excited. It was one of like just a couple of films that the night before I've been like, oh, I'm going to see this film tomorrow. And yeah. I remember the opening and I was blown away. And I just sort of, as I said, rubbed my hands together, hand, hand behind the head, just like, this is amazing. What was your history with this film? Why choose it? Well, I think for me it was like I always loved, you know, um, George Romero's movies, but it was like I think it should be a progression, really. But you know, the zombies were there and they were ominous, but they moved. But I, but Zach Wilder seemed to come out with this fucking you know, like you didn't expect this insanity. This I think almost it might have been a precursor to Twenty Eight Days. I don't know if that had come out already, but just to, when they start running. You know, and, and then you know the little girl, and then the, and, and I was like, "What yep. the fuck is going on?" And it was, and because some remakes, they mentioned no names, they just tend to retread the same thing, you know. And, and right. this didn't, this didn't, it had, it had that. Like you could tell where it was pulling from, but it was just like taking it way more out there and more extreme, I think, you know, than, than what you could have imagined. You know, I mean, George made amazing stuff, but you know, this was like, okay, well, that's that. But they were gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna run after you, and that's like, well, you know, that's the thing. We play Resident Evil games, you know, when they started up the up the ante there as well. You're like, well, fuck it, yeah, Resident <laughs> Evil too. I'd, I'd be upstairs, I'd put it down to get the new one to scare the shit out of me. But um, you know, so that was that was the, the one of the biggest things for me, really watching it. Yeah. I was, as I say, just so impressed with that intro. Like I remember watching the the scream intro, uh, the Drew Barrymore bit, and just being like, well, that. 
that is a perfect short film. And I would say the same with this. Like you've got from the moment like the, the titles come up sort of thing and until Johnny Cash kicks in with The Man Comes Around. I just think that's a perfect little bit. I love the bit where the guy's running after his wife and then just sort of sees yeah. someone else that's easier to get and just goes for him. Yeah. Terrifying. And if I'm recollecting, there's a zoom out, I believe, of the zombies and they're running. Yeah. And, he, and you go to, I don't know if you remember the ending, but when they escape, I found that interesting on the boat. Why? Because I don't know if it's intentional, and probably is not, but they, because they think they've got out, and then there's the video, and they get to this island. And I almost thought it was Zach Wallace and Mars, like zombie holocaust. Right. I was like, cheeky bastard. He's just, he's like, he's going to slide that one in there, you know. Can't, you know I don't know why I thought that, but I was like, I just explained to my daughter, who's now uh, watching Frank and Wee and all the, the sub uh, references that Tim Burton does, you know, with El Elsa and Victor and all, you know. But, and so I was like, so that was interesting to me. And also, the fact they, did, you know, they, they thought they got out, and it was like, nah, you yeah. know. So I, I, I watched the commentary um, for this, and Bing Rames, he says that, like, the reason he said yes to this role was because the black guy lives. <laughs> and yeah. right at the end, no one's gonna live. You, you're dead. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> so it does not matter now. So, no, yeah, it, it. Yeah. I mean, it, it just you know, it did. Uh, I think it did, it, it did successfully. What a remake should hopefully do. Yeah, it has those elements. It's not a totally different film, but didn't play it safe. I think you know, and, and, I, and I like that. You know. It's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm running the, the pregnant zombie as well. Yeah, the baby scene, yeah. She's like totally brutal, beyond, with different takes. I think it would have been very easy to, you know, I don't, well, you know, you know some of the, the Halloween remakes by a certain individual I wasn't quite massively into because I just felt well, with the Halloween remake, it explained too much, you know, um, right. and destroyed the, uh, the, the mystery of Michael Myers completely, you know. Uh, for me. So Rob Zombie ones. Yeah, I'm not talking. I'm not really basically. Yeah, it's just like, meh. it's just like you, you know, the whole thing was when I first saw Halloween, I was fucking shitting myself. It's, this is an unstoppable guy, not stopping. You know, I mean, I think the the, the remake. I mean, from what I remember of that, there was a lot of like the early discussions between him and Loomis. You know. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's cool, but it's kind of. That's a, that would be a sequel thing for me. If I was directing it, I would put that. Not, not, I wouldn't be explaining what Michael Myers is to become because the whole, because that was the, the, the journey of just, I mean, maybe John Carpenter hadn't really worked it out at the beginning, but you're, there's always discover, sequels you're discovering things, I guess, in my head. And then um, not to give them too much straight away. And so in, in that essence, when we're doing them being a remake, it was not what you expected. And I think that's always a good thing. There was certain things that pulled me out of the film when I watched it initially that I sort of love now. And I think it's because I remember what I was like in the cinema, like a giddy kid I was. There was a bit where they, they rescue some people that pull up to the shopping mall. And in amongst that cast is the guy that plays Max Headroom. And I remember I was like, Max Headroom! Uh, to which everyone in the cinema was like, Sharp, what you doing? Yeah, I'm so yeah. excited. <laughs> I, yeah, well, yeah, I didn't notice that was also. I mean, I, already, I wanted to rewatch this more intensely before, you know, before, before I spoke to you because I'm you know, anyway, the festival, but the, the overall gore content was, was up to standards, in my opinion. You know, 
because they, they find the survivor, don't they, across the way? And they zoom oh, in yeah, 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 and they're shooting people off the so, roof. So they see the survivor and they get over there. And there's a lot of tension in all that, you know, I think. Finally get over there. And it's, even, I mean, 18 years ago, I mean, well, I don't know how old I would be, but I, pretty, I find it pretty scary in parts, you know, and I think that's important to, to, to do that, to be... Some movies don't have that effect, and when you can be like a bit in sort of your forties or whatever, or late thirties, get I mean, it's like twenty-eight days later when they start running in the beginning of that movie, it's shit milk. That's a good thing. I'd love, I'd love to be sitting watching a film with you, and you get shit up. Uh, it was, I was like, fuck yeah. Well, so, so there's, so I can't really. Some of the, I try and watch a few ones here, okay, and I want to get the time to do it. And it'll be late at night, and I'll put up like, fuck it, I know where this is going to go. I'm like, I think I'll have to watch this tomorrow, you know, and that's always a good song because, you know, push it push it that way. Like, looking forward to like David Cronenberg. Well, it's not horrible, but David Cronenberg's new movie is very interesting Crime, Crimes of the Future. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to see that one either. But no, I mean, that, the only that was just like, I think they did, they remade Day of the Dead, didn't they? Yeah, as well, did they? But not, but that was not very good at all. I'm trying. I think. I think uh, the, the girl from American Beauties in that one, the um, Mia Savari, uh, not, not the girl. And I, 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 for a minute, I thought that might have been a similar path, but it was okay. But not really. Not a patch on Dawn, really. Well, this is the thing. This remake is really good and it's different i i feel like this one if you look at it it's like you've got terminator and terminator 2 like that one of them's far more based in horror and the other one's far more based in action and you can say the same thing with this with the dawn of the dead and then the remake of dawn of the dead but i'm going to put it to you as as a, a sort of final question here as what do you prefer like what is better to you can you judge them like that um, I I do I, I could go far and say I, I think the remake the remake is better to me. Wow. Okay. And of course I, I'm gonna have to go, go on a lot of memory. It just adds so much. I mean I love I, I did love the original Dawn of the Dead. Total classic, you know. And uh, you know, and, but I was but even back then as a youngster, I felt George Romero's movies what's the word? What lacked pace? You know. I mean, who the wow. fuck am I to say that? Really, who am I to say that? But whereas Zach Wells like bah! You know, it was on, you know. And I think, you know, things like that would probably, even though The Walking Dead comic was around for a time, that would have had a direct influence on things like The Walking Dead TV show, which the first, I think the first six episodes were amazing to watch on TV as well. Uh, but it just, there was, you know, these zombies were, they were fucking around, they were coming at you fast, you know, scary, you know. And it was like, well, yeah, because you know, otherwise you've just got, you know, me with a sh- fucking skinhead lumbering around the fucking bark and the mark. Mark it's like, well, yeah, okay. I always, I always let that baby fall down. I wasn't hurt his knees, man. And um, uh, the remake, brutal, you know. That's what I, I can't choose between them because I, I just love that original so much. And of I course. Think, yeah. I think I've seen it so many times now. It's difficult to see it not with those rose-tinted glasses of, oh, yeah. this is a film of my youth. But I will say that this one feels in places really sort of hopeless and cruel, especially mm-hmm. with that ending. It's so harsh, just as you... Yeah, I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of the no hope, man, really, because I shouldn't be that way, but it's just... It's challenging to, you know, 
when when directors take it, they take a punt at like, well, you know, this is it. I mean, even like, even though it's not horror, even Rogue One, for example, you know, yeah, you know, that's it's balls to go full on and go, that's it, man, you know. Yeah, no fucking main characters. Some people are uncomfortable with that. And I like the fact that people get uncomfortable with that because, you, you know, life isn't always, you know, get out, you know. Fair play. Yeah, fair play. No, it's, I, I like movies that push the, push the boundaries a bit. And many will say, oh, yeah, well, of course you had to get out. You had to get, you know, one had to make it out. But when they don't make it out, that's like, then people are like, fucking you know, hell, there you go. Um. I, I just want to say thank you for being such a massive part of my life. And yeah, uh, you don't know you do, you, well, I imagine you do know, but yeah, you really set a lot of people on a real positive path. So I just want to say thanks. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it's, as I say, darkness in light, we're all the same. It's just, you gotta, you gotta just go try and live your life best you can. I think that's all. Thank, thank you very much. No, good mate. You take care. This was Tyler Bates' first score for a horror title, and to me, it does show. It takes its cues from action films way more than it does from horror. It feels bright and brassy way too often for my liking. But then, some might say, well, so does Zack Snyder's direction. It's always full of action. So that was a track called Subterranean Sewer Attack and that sort of demonstrates what I mean by Zack Snyder's direction being complemented by this soundtrack. I mean it does very little for me but it does seamlessly fit into the tone of this film. Even when Bates slows down the BPM though uh, on tracks such as We Have To Do Something Now it still sounds a little off to me. It doesn't quite work. And in the extras on the DVD disc Bates says that he wanted the audience to feel uncomfortable. And if I'm being honest, I think he failed with this one. If that was his goal on Dawn of the Dead, it doesn't work. But the following year, he did get there. When he scored The Devil's Rejects, that Rob Zombie film, he got it spot on. But then he even trumped that the year after. He composed the Slither soundtrack. And that is even better still. So where can you find this? In the USA, you can stream it on Fubo, Stars, AMC Plus, and a fair few others. In the UK, you're limited to one, but it's the biggie. You can stream it for free on Netflix. As for podcasts, Dawn of the Dead, this version of it anyway, 2004, has been covered extensively in the podcasting world. If you type it in a search engine, you'll definitely find something for yourself. But I would recommend these two. One from way back in October 2012 is called The Next Real Film. Uh, R-E-E-L. Real. 
That's a proper oldie. But it was a really good listen. And then we've got last year's Matt Goes to the Movies. And that was an episode from November 2021. Pretty good. But as I say, you could just type it in, choose anything, because people are opinionated about this remake of Dawn of the Dead. And there you have it. Thank you so much, Shane Embry, for taking part in this. What a bloody legend. As I mentioned earlier on, patreon.com forward slash a year in horror if you want to load more content and hear a lot more of me talking about horror. That's where to head. And once again, thank you out there for listening. That was the 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead. That was Shane from Napalm Death. I'm Paul from A Year in Horror. And see you on the first of the month for the big hitter episode. We are the second time. We are the second time.